Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by writer and director Francis Lee, the man behind the excellent God's Own Country from a couple of years ago, and more recently, Ammonite, starring Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan. Hello, Francis. Hey, Sam. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you for joining us for a podcast today. My pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. It's been a while. We were lucky yeah. enough to talk on a different podcast for your last film, God's Own Country. Nice to check in now a few years later. I know, yeah. I, I was just thinking about that. And um, and I, it was the days when we could still go to cinemas and meet in cafes. And I think we did meet face-to-face at Picture House Central and, and had a lovely time talking about God's Own Country. A cinema cafe, such a, <laughs> feels like such a relic from the past. I'm hopefully, hopefully they'll be back soon. Please let them be back soon. During this time, it has allowed me to watch a lot more things at home. And I have seen quite a lot of people of, you know, discovering God's Own Country during this time. I guess that's the joy of having a film available on streaming services. Yeah, it, it's so interesting that with God's Own Country, because obviously it was my first film. I'd never written a film before or made a film before. And I think in my head, I just had imagined I would I was just going to make that one film. I hadn't imagined I would then have a, a career as a filmmaker. And of course, you know, I'd never done anything. The actors in it weren't particularly famous. And so the way in which that film then kind of premiered and people got excited about it and that kind of momentum just grew and grew and grew around it. And of course, then we thought once the film had been out... That, that, you know, it would kind of slip away as films do, but it just hasn't. There's, <laughs> there's just as much interest in it today and and people discovering it for the first time or re-watching it and having connections to it now as they were when it first came out, which is just wonderful. I'm glad you didn't just do the one film. You got straight into your next film, Ammonite. It was, it was really interesting, as I say, because I hadn't really thought about it and I had... I decided quite early on because, as I say, I had never made a film before and the actors in God's Own Country at the time weren't famous. I had really committed to promoting that film so it could reach, uh, you know, the biggest audience that it could. So after it premiered in Sundance, I think in 2017, I then spent the next 12 months or 18 months promoting it around the world and and talking about it and going places and what have you and then I, and when that finished which i think was was around about february 2018 i suddenly kind of thought right so what 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 do i do now and i'd had this idea i discovered this person called mary anning and i'd had this idea and started to think about it and so pretty much I then went straight into writing it and I wrote it fairly quickly and um, and then it, it it was pushed into production super quick I think it was I think it was about 10 months from me starting to write the script to me being on set shooting it 
it was very quick. Wow, that mm. must be such a different story to God's Own Country. It did accelerate very quickly, but I guess for me, the, the writing stage felt like it was ready to be made. And, you know, obviously with your first feature film, there's quite a lot of waiting around for, you know, for people to read it or to commit to it or to give you money. But if your first film's done okay, then your second film, it, it's a little bit easier. You know, people are like, yes, well, we really loved God's Own Country, so we would like to work on this one. So it just accelerated. It's quite impressive because this is a, you know, it's a period piece. You've got, you know, lots of set dressing, lots of costumes, incredible location, but also quite a cast. How do you go about getting Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet on board in in that 10-month turnaround time? (laughs) I think, again, oh, I was so lucky. So So I wrote the script and people really liked the script and thought it was good. And so I, I, I wish it was I wish it was a more exciting answer, but but basically the script was sent to Kate's agent. Kate's agent was a big fan of God's Own Country, so she read the script straight away. She really loved it. She sent it to Kate and said to Kate, "Please read this immediately because if you don't, it might go somewhere else, and you won't want that to happen." So Kate read it the same day she got it and um, came back that same day and said, "I'd like to do it." And pretty much the same happened with Sersha. So I was very lucky, very blessed that, that they both agreed so quickly. For fans of God's Own Country, it's really nice to see Alec uh, in there as well. Nice returning oh, role. Yeah. Did you always have him in mind to come back for uh, for another film? <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, you know, when you meet somebody um, and that not only are, are, you know, brilliant at their jobs and you have a real affinity in the way in which you work, but you have a real connection. You know, I'm a kind of director who really likes connections and um, with the people I work with. So it's, it's kind of really important to me that I build, you know, not just a working uh, relationship, but a, but a friendship with the people I'm working with, particularly the actors. And um, and so when that happens, which I was very lucky that did happen with Alec and Josh uh, from God's Own Country, you know, it's always my mission then to bring those people back as many times as I, I can. And I've, I've never written a part for anybody. Um, I've only written two films, I should say. It's, it's not that I've written millions of films. But in those two films, I've never written with an actor in mind but but in Ammonite, from the get-go, I, I knew that the uh, the character of Dr. Lieberson in Ammonite was going to be Alec. I guess Alec and Josh were in a different place in their careers when you work on God's Own Country. But when you're working with you know, bigger stars like Kate Winslet and Saoirse, does that change how you worked? Or did you manage to get that chemistry with them? You know, I was I was nervous, you know, they're, they're with Kate and Saoirse, because obviously they're big, incredibly famous, successful movie stars. And I'd made one film. Obviously, I was quite nervous. But very quickly, um, with both Kate and Saoirse, it became apparent that they wanted to to work in the way in which I like to work. And they really wanted to commit to that. I probably naively hadn't thought about it. But there wasn't any sense of them being big movie stars. You know, there wasn't the, the, there wasn't the team or the people around them or the trappings or the things that get in the way. They just it was just them being brilliant, committed actors and wanting to do the very, very best they could. That was lovely once I'd worked that out. And also it was really lovely to be trusted by by such experienced and and wonderful actors. Because for all they knew, I could have, you know, I could have been a um, 
a one trick pony. I could have like, it could have just been God's own country. And that would have been that, that was it. You know, I might not have been able to make another film, but, um, but they really trusted me. Um, and, and that was a, lo- a, a lovely feeling. I think it shows up on screen, you know, like the, the performances in the film are incredible and it's not just Kate and Saoirse, you know, you've got a wonderful cast and I think that really, really shines through. It feels very authentic and you know you really believe that relationship which i think is a bit of a it's becoming a bit of a signature on your movies well thank you thank you sam because the the work i make and indeed the work that i respond to is for me a very very personal experience so when i when i write stuff it's very much about me exploring you know my own emotional space things that i've been through or things that I'm trying to figure out. And so it all comes from, you know, quite a grounded, truthful place. And then the key is that relationship with the actors to to be able to um, translate that into their performances. But, but I think that's what's incredibly satisfying. Particularly, I mean, it was incredibly satisfying with Kate as well, because I think in this film, she is doing something that I'd never seen her do before in a performance. And it felt incredibly transformative. So much so that, that you know, when I, when I finished the film or when I was working on the film, there, there's just no part of Kate I recognised in that performance. You know, it's, it, she has physically and emotionally transformed herself into somebody else. And, and that is brave as well for somebody who's so established and so known for various things. And, and you know, Kate, Kate is wonderful at, at expressing emotion and being very front-footed at expressing emotion. But what she was required to do in this film was to internalise everything. She's playing a very, you know, restrained kind of internalised character who hasn't found her voice that was really interesting and fascinating to to do that and as and as i say you know having the trust from kate to allow me to orchestrate that in her performance was was really cool what a thrill to to be doing this yeah it's very good one day it was it was funny because like i i i you know i'm a very kind of private quiet person and i like the set to be quite quiet and not many people around and you know and i i like to think that i know it who everybody is on my set and what they do and you know try and try as I say try and build those connections and one day I was I was shooting a scene and it was a rare scene that Kate wasn't in and out of the corner of my eye I could see somebody walking around the set and I didn't recognize who they were and I turned to the first AD and I was like who's that on my set who is it and he looked at this person and he went that's Kate but because she wasn't in her costume or her makeup or her hair, I literally had forgotten what she looked like as, as Kate. It was, it was like, it was the weirdest experience. It was very strange. The location looks really beautiful, especially that beach. Was that Lyme Regis? The character in the film is Mary Anning. The real Mary Anning lived and worked in Lyme Regis. And that's where we shot. We, were able, we weren't able to shoot in her actual house because it had been knocked down and uh, a museum built but where we did shoot was about for for her house and shop was about i think less than 100 meters away from where she actually lived and then all the beaches that we shot on were all the beaches that mary anning worked on 
And so, the, you know, we were, in a sense, walking in her footsteps. Shooting in, in Lyme Regis was lovely. It was, you know, it's a very, as you say, it's a really beautiful place. But the beaches are tough. It looks tough on screen. It looks, looks cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, Sam. It was. It was It was really cold. And of course, you know, because I love all the preparation into character work, and I'd worked with both Saoirse and Kate for like four or five months before the shoot, part of that was Kate going out onto the beaches to learn how to fossil with the real tools that Mary Anning would have used, you know, not modern tools and things. And of course, you know, that that took up weeks so Kate would go out for hours and hours and hours onto those beaches learning how to fossil and she got very cold and very wet but that obviously that also really played into the physicalization of the character you know it really helped to kind of work out where the where her muscles would have ached what did that feel like what was her what what did that do to her posture you know that cold getting into your bones um it all really, really paid off, I think. Yeah, I think you see it on screen. Like She feels like a pro when she's on the beach. Uh, definitely worth doing that prep. And she's got a great skill for life, maybe a future hobby. It was my birthday during the shoot and she get, she went onto the beaches and she found me a ichthyosaur vertebrae fossil and gave me that as a present. It was very lovely. Wow. <laughs> a very special gift. Yeah. We're excited to watch Ammonite. We'll update the show notes with uh, with the details uh, when we have that. So listeners, do check uh, for more on Ammonite. But for this podcast, I gave Francis some homework. Uh, and the homework, Francis, was to select one under 90-minute film. How did you how did you respond to that task when I, when I sort of sent you that message? I was a bit scared, to be honest, because I kind of I, I kind of really thought about it. And obviously, I listened to your your podcast and I really, really love it. And it, it's fun and lovely. and I really like it. And I thought, OK, so my instinct would be to go with something fun. So I really wanted to do The Fox and the Hound. At the back of my head, you know, there was this film that I had seen and had actually meant a huge amount to me, had really made me look at myself and film actually in different ways. It was actually a, a, a quite an easy decision to, um, apart from I did look at all the other films you'd done and, and was like seething that, that there were other films I would have loved to have talked about. It's becoming a bit of a problem the more we do. You're like, oh, I wanted to do that one. <laughs> um, and Francis, what film did you choose for us today? I chose The Kid with a Bike. The Dardens create tension out of human drama and draw believable, excellent performances from their entire cast. Cyril, almost 12, has only one plan, to find the father who left him temporarily in a children's home. By chance, he meets Samantha who runs a hairdressing salon and agrees to let him stay with her at weekends. Cyril doesn't recognise the love Samantha feels for him, a love he desperately needs to calm his rage. This affecting and gripping drama is one of the finest films from the directors of The Child, Rosetta and The Silence of Lorna. She probably followed that up with saying The Kid with a Bike was a 2011 film, as you mentioned, written and directed by the uh, Dardenne brothers, Jean-Pierre and Luc, and it stars Thomas Dorette and Cécile de France. It's 87 minutes long. Beautiful runtime there. And it played at the Cannes Film Festival, where I think it won the uh, the Grand Prix, which is the sort of the second prize below the Palme d'Or. Uh, it's a big achievement there. When did you first watch this film? Did you see it in cinemas? Yeah, I did. So um, let me think. It was London Film Festival. 2011 and at this point I I kind of 
uh, I knew I wanted to make film. I think I had made one short film and I made this short film with my friend Lee who produced it and what we thought was that when it came to London Film Festival we should you know get the programme and we should go through it because I was no cinephile at this point. I, I you know I, I went to see blockbusters and that was about it and I didn't go to film school or anything and we, we went through the programme and I, I think I looked up online or in the Evening Standard or something, the best hidden gems to see at London Film Festival. And we booked to see all these films. So I knew nothing about the Darden Brothers. I knew nothing about this film at all. We just, it, it was a, a recommendation, I think. And I was totally immersed in it. It, it, it. Every moment of it seemed to resonate with me. It made me incredibly emotional, gripped and very emotional. And it was the first time really I'd seen a film that actually one could describe as, you know, a very small story, but actually it felt to be about everything um, for me that, that was important. This whole inner rage that Cyril has, the way in which he can't see how he's being rejected by, by a biological parent and the way in which he's clinging on to that relationship to try and get what he he thinks he wants and yet there's somebody else in his life who is being able to you know offer him care and love and support that he to begin with rejects and it just felt that real sense of somebody in this case Cyril's wanting to belong a sense of home yeah that it really really touched me I remember afterwards saying <laughs> sitting in the cinema after the credits and I, I it took me a good 10 minutes to stop crying and leave <laughs> it was it was a very very emotional experience because Cyril what I love about him he's a 12 year old character he's very complex and you're sort of sometimes you're on his side sometimes you're not you really are so invested in his situation by the end of it um it's very sad to say goodbye to these characters yeah I think I think you're right I think again it comes down to that thing of He's not always likable. He does make bad choices sometimes. He's not able to see what, what is going on in reality uh, for him all the time. But I love the way in which that, that even though you might, as a viewer, you might sometimes dislike him, you're still rooting for him. And that, was a, that really helped me in that sense of, you know, complex characters. Um, and being able to write complex characters myself um, or to look at a snapshot in somebody's life, like I think this film does, which I like to do in my work. I mean, on top of this, it was also like an incredible um, education in filmmaking. You know, I'd never seen a film like this before in the way in which the camera moves, in the way in which it frames. It works in that close up an awful lot in the way in which the camera feels so fluid a lot of the time, that you are definitely going through this journey, this story with Cyril. You know, you're, you're just, it's, it's pretty much all his point of view. That was a real revelation for me. And also, you know, just being big, kind of thinking about it afterwards and thinking about Cyril's red T-shirt and, and thinking about color coding and thinking about, you know, the, the, the decisions that have gone into how those characters appear, what they wear, what the set is, you know, what, what colorways they're using. It is a film that I think 
in many respects could be described as a perfect film. And that was a wonderful education for me as a, as a filmmaker that I would, I would then draw on um, when I went off to make my own work. There's a lot of, you know, excellent filmmaking practice going into this. The color coding really stood out to me too. I think the, the fact that the set is mostly green, green and gray and Cyril just tears it up on his bike in that red shirt, you know, flying around at speed. Everyone else is sort of walking or in cars going slow. It's all very like genteel, apart from Cyril, who who can, you know, um, express himself in quite a, you know, a, a big way compared to the people around him. Yeah, it's, and it gives it such an energy. It's also that thing of, I don't know, maybe maybe this was just me, but when I was thinking about making film and you look around to see what's like super fashionable or people are really chatting about or, you know, the film of the moment. And and that, that concerned me that I wouldn't be able to get my finger on the pulse or I wouldn't be able to, you know, to make a film like that. And then I saw a, a film like this, which feels kind of universal and timeless in lots of ways in, in the um, emotional space that it's inhabiting and the questions that it's asking that that I thought oh well maybe I could maybe that's okay maybe I can make films like that I don't have to make you know train spotting um <laughs> it's it's interesting Sam because it's a film that's very very vivid for me but it's a film I've not been able to revisit and so when 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 I knew we were going to be talking about it or when I suggested it I kind of put off and put off watching it and I think I danced around even talking about it. I think I was thinking, oh, no, I'll come up with another film because <laughs> I'm not sure I want to talk about it. Anyway, I did rewatch it. And I and I had, again, the same experience as the first time. Very emotional, very immersive. That moment. I guess we don't give spoilers, right? We can do spoilers. That right just before the ending. And he and he, um, you know, he's gone out to the shop and and he's coming back and he gets attacked by that father and son and he climbs that tree and he falls out that tree and 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 just fantastic filmmaking they they let him lie there as if he's dead for a very very long time and that is the most heart-wrenching kind of suspenseful difficult moment for me in the film and then he gets up and he just gets on his bike and he just carries on and then it's the end and and to me that just felt like the most perfect dramatic i guess way of really showing where he was at now you know and really showing that there was going to be hope in that kid's life and he was going to be okay he was going to be okay and uh, and that that to me is just just like it's really important to have hope in work for me and again you know that film could have ended very tragically it could have been very different but the fact that the the Dardens decided to give that kid hope for a future actually, yeah, it kind of it's it's it, it, it's very emotional. It feels like a rebirth, doesn't it? At that point, um, and you're right. You know, mm. he could have. There, there's so many other things, other routes he could have gone down, more negative paths. But actually, him having that that moment of rebirth and then carrying on and really working at that relationship with Samantha is really heartwarming yeah no it, it, and I think it, it kind of really speaks to those basic things you know the, the human spirit and it's not always parents who are going to be our caregivers or give us that love or support that we might need you know there are other people who are going to do that yeah no I think it I think it's very special Je sais un peu, la coiffeuse près de la place. Elle est sympa avec toi. Oui. 
pourrais faire nous deux. Mais pour te lire, il faut que je puisse te faire confiance. Tu peux I guess I consider myself a Darden Brothers fan, but I don't constantly kind of go through their stuff. And it's been years since I've seen one of their movies. I sort of forgot about their filmmaking style, those very long takes, like so many scenes are done in one take, one shot and the camera might be handheld or, or quite fluid out there. And it really lets you get into the, the scenes. And sometimes the scenes last, you know, five or more minutes, uh, just that, that one sort of conversation. And it's such an intimate cast. It allows for some really interesting expressions of the characters, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would totally agree. And I think that when I when I watched it, and I, I don't really... Weirdly, I've not actually been back and watched any of the other Darden Brothers films. Oh, you know, wow. the, the only other one I've seen is Two Days, One Night, um, which came out afterwards. But I but I haven't been back and watched watched their back catalogue. And I, and I don't know really why that is. But maybe, probably quite unconscious, this style of filmmaking really struck me, the long takes, you know, the, the, the handheld camera, the immersive quality, the, the way in which you're, you're, you know, you see a character go through stuff. Sometimes that's awful. Sometimes you don't like them. And at other moments, you know, you're joyful for them. You get to see it all, in a sense. And that, as I say, really resonated with me and clearly, I think, is something that then I think very clearly, very, very strongly about when I make my own work, is that, you know, I love immersive filmmaking. I love close-ups. I love the camera not shying away from a character when it's an uncomfortable moment or, um, you know, they're not being that likable or, or whatever. I like the minutiae of detail of people's lives. Um, it is a, I know it's a, I know it's a joke. But you know, one of the things when I'm writing about um, when I when I when I write a script is the one thing I'm thinking straight away is where do they go to the loo? If they're <laughs> if they're on a beach working all day, how how do they go to the loo? Or if they're up a up on a, the hills lambing, where do they go to the loo? And so it's that that kind of minutiae of detail that I really like, and I think a lot of it consciously or subconsciously came from this type of filmmaking that they do. I also read, I don't know if I'm completely right, but I also read that I think they rehearse all morning and then shoot in the afternoon. So again, I was, you know, I really like the idea of prep, not rehearsals in my situation, but prep. Um, and so that really struck me. But I, re I mean, I really did like as well Two Days, One Night. I thought if I was ever going to make a thriller, I would make a thriller in that way of, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of idea of, of that. Clicking, uh, ticking clock. Time is quite important in their work. If you in this film, it takes place over a really short space of time, but so much happens. Mm. It's an action-packed few days. We don't ever find out how long it takes, but it it does feel like a very compressed amount of time. Quite an intense point of his life. And not totally, you know. Again, I, it. Again, I always feel like I fail with words and vocabulary because because I didn't go to film school. So I think I sometimes use words in the wrong way. But in in my head, this doesn't feel like a plot-driven film. It feels very much like a character-driven film. And and what happens are more like incidents. So it's not like, and then this happens, and then this happens. It's more like his journey through these emotional states to get to, you know, where we leave him at the end. And And I really appreciate that, you know. I really appreciate that time that we get to spend with him as you say this is this is not a long film but within that short time span we we really get to know him and go on this journey 
It's always been my ambition to make a film this long, Sam, but I haven't as yet. <laughs> it must be I tough. haven't made a film you're you're going to be able to talk about on the ninety minutes or less podcast yet. <laughs> it's uh hey it could be a good a good goal for for future would love to talk about an under 90 minute long francis lee film <laughs> I, i'd love to make one <laughs> we've spoken to been lucky to talk to a few filmmakers on this and a lot of them have had a similar sort of sentiment like i wish you could talk about one of my films i know <laughs> uh, but it's... sometimes the story doesn't lend itself to it no and it, and and it, yeah i i kind of think when i'm when i'm writing i kind of think okay i'm going to write a, a script that's 80 pages long and you know you get to page 110 and you're like, oh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to manage it. Not going on a 90-minute film first with that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> because you're so invested in the, in the characters in The Kid with the Bike, I, I didn't notice a lot of the things that other films have that were missing. Like, there's very limited score in this film. And when it comes in, you're like, oh, music. And I think the Dardens don't typically use any music at all. And, and this is kind of a bit of a break in their style. Did that? Did you notice that as well? I, I mean, at the time, probably not. Again, it would be quite um, an unconscious kind of thing. It amazes me what really, what, what can go in unconsciously, because I don't really use score in my films. Both God's Own Country and Ammonite have very little bit. I think in God's Own Country, there are maybe three bits of bits of music and in Ammonite there's four but very sparing and very very mixed into the soundscape so it so it all blends um but I but I really appreciate that the the strength of the filmmaking one of the thing one of the things that annoys me is um films that are heavily heavily scored and I'm always suspicious about a film that's heavily, heavily scored, and it becomes too, it becomes very dominant, and and I I start to think at some point somebody has said, you know, we need more music because we need the audience to think this, or we need them to go here at this point, or we need this, and I think what's wonderful about Kid with a Bike is the confidence of not doing that, of of the confidence of of letting the acting and the the drama and the filmmaking speak for itself. Hello, I'm Helen from Flixwatcher. And I'm Kobe, also from Flixwatcher. The Netflix review podcast you go to when you can't find anything to watch on Netflix. That's right, we are another podcast in the strip media family. So if you've struggled to find a film on Netflix, then we're the podcast for you. And we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, and they're the ones that actually choose the films that we then rate and review and talk about in our show. If you'd like to find out more about Flixwatcher or any of the other shows, visit www.strip.media to find out more. Is there a, a scene for you that really sticks with you when you think about this film? Uh, there are two. There's the one I've already, already mentioned, which is when he climbs the tree. Mm. But there's also the, I, I don't know if it's a scene or if it's a, a number of scenes, if it's a section, but it's when he goes bike riding with Samantha and they stop and they have lunch you know, in a very, very lovely French baguette. And, yes. <laughs> um, and, and that's the first time, I think, in the film we've seen Cyril relaxed. I don't know if he's content, but he feels like he's in the moment and he's allowing that moment to be there and to feel good. And I remember getting very emotional over that because, you know, with that inner rage and with that real sense of looking for something, I think you can really miss moments. You're, you're always on the way somewhere. You never sit in the moment and appreciate 
what's actually going on at that particular time and it's okay to relax and it's okay to to you know have a good time it's a really nice symbolism of uh it's the first time someone else has ridden on a bike with cyril like he's so passionate about his bike um and he's so good at running after it when it gets stolen and all that sort of stuff like he cares so much about this bike um then uh actually seeing an, an, an adult riding with him and and you know being somewhere he's comfortable is so nice to see yeah uh, it's a really good sort of like visual signifier that him and samantha are in sync now they're both on bikes <laughs> they're laughing sharing a baguette yeah it's yeah it's beautiful it's really beautiful because cyril is a is a 12 year old boy who's wise beyond his years and you see that a lot like he knows what adults say to him to fob him off and he he sort of really drills down when people say something and and but in this scene he takes charge he's offering the sandwiches like he's he's playing a bit of a grown-up role it's quite nice to see him evolve in that way as well well i think you know that there's a lot of things that happen you know when when you're a kid and you know maybe you haven't had you know the parenting that you deserve you it's not that you lose your childhood but you you have to grow up pretty quick and you have to understand what the rules are or how you're being treated to survive to to kind of get through it um and i think that what's so lovely about this is that you see him as a 12 year old kid you see him as a boy rather than as this little this little ball of anger who's had to grow up and had to become defensive and had to come up with strategies of how he's going to survive it feels like he's he's settled into this 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 home where he can now be a 12 year old i mean she obviously cares so much about him it's quite that sad scene where she chooses cyril over her boyfriend um and and i quite like that they have that you know, it's like a, a scene where characters have to face the reality of the situation. And I love that she chooses him at that point. Absolutely. But also, you know, it's that, it, it, but that becomes then about choice, doesn't it? It's not, she isn't his parent. It's not like she has to look after him. She has to be there for him. She chooses to be there for him and she chooses to put him first. And he's not had that experience before. Nobody's ever done that for him before. Yeah, I mean that that's an incredible an incredible emotional moment. Uh, but it's never but what I love about this film is they don't, you know, I'm talking about it like in quite an emotional state and that I'm really feeling it and it's very resonant for me and my experience. But they don't play it for that emotion, which which again I really really like. There's no monologues um, or, you know, like directly addressing the audience. It's just showing the audience and moving on with it very quickly, which is like life, I suppose. I think so, you know, but I think in in films, particularly in emotional films, you know, we're so used to the over-explanation of emotions when characters come in and go, I feel like this and the reason I feel like this is because of this. But I think if I do this, I might feel this way. Um, And that's, again, something I've always really shied away from that that i i like my characters to show not tell in my films i think it's 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 a harder thing to do but i think it's much more satisfying as as a filmmaker and also for me as an audience it's much more satisfying not to be spoon-fed i think so i think it allows for conversations like this to happen and it allows you to really interpret the characters you know through your own experience more so than if you were competing with other factors a heavy score and lots of dialogue sometimes can get in the way sometimes it's brilliant but sometimes it can get in the way and isn't necessary and sometimes you know and and it it also makes me think that the films that you can talk about or there is a debate about or that does you know that do bring things up for you as you say they're the films that you when you leave the cinema you're talking about you're still talking about you you know you don't just go oh that was good what do you want to eat 
where do you want to go for dinner? <laughs> you're like, you're still engaging. You're still thinking it through and you're seeing yourself reflected on screen. And, and that's always been the big thing for me about cinema as I've discovered cinema and watch more films is, is looking for resonance of my own experience or myself reflected because that then allows me to do work on myself and think about my situation and you know who I am and and what have you and and I think that's why cinema is such a powerful art form distilling down to to what cinema can be and, and should be and you know especially at this time when we're all we're all missing that experience so much um I can't wait to be back in the front row of a cinema screen going through those those feelings myself I know Sam I'm with you I'm always front row um I don't I'm always front row nose pressed against the screen um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been, obviously, it's been an incredibly hard year for everybody, really, really difficult. And I just hope we can get back to the point where we're going to cinemas, big screens, sitting in the dark, having a collective experience, going on those emotional journeys. You know, I think it's kind of part of who we are. And I'm really looking forward to the point where we can get back to that. As well as picking a fantastic film for us, if I was to give you uh, a second job at our festival to plan a screening of this film, we've got a unlimited budget, it seems. We can do outdoor screenings, indoor screenings, drive-ins, you name it. I went to a film festival in Greece and it was uh, where they would play all the films on beaches. But I'm not suggesting we play this film on the beach. Because on one night when when I wasn't involved with the film festival, I went to the cinema and it was an open it was a, a, a 1930s open air cinema in this beautiful square, and uh, and I watched Mamma Mia too, but I think we should play a kid with a bike on a beautiful summer's evening in an open air cinema in the south of France, if such a place exists. I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can make it happen. If there's not, <laughs> uh, that sounds that sounds dreamy. If you could invite a special guest uh, along to the screening, who would you like to hear more from? A, a very good friend of mine. This is also his favourite film, and we've spent a lot of time talking about it and a lot of time, you know, investigating it. So I would like to invite my friend Josh O'Connor to to see it with us and talk about it that'd be great we'd be delighted to welcome josh to the special screening um as the film festival we'll make sure we um have a healthy supply of tuna baguettes and cheese baguettes uh, <laughs> that everybody could watch during the film in little plastic packed lunch boxes <laughs> yes i think that would be so cute <laughs> uh, a little bit of yeah bringing the film out to the audience in a way uh, this sounds like a delightful screening i think to see this with a group of people when cinemas are back again it's sort of you know this is a really good flag bearer for the power of cinema and the journeys it can take you on i think it is and 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 also you know the the power of incredible filmmakers and i take my hat off to them and one day wish to be as good at making film as the darden brothers are You've got two films under your belt already. Um, there's some incredible filmmaking there. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. I think you have to make quite a few more films to catch up with the Darden. So they're, yes. they're ridiculously prolific. I think they've I made over sort of 30 films or something. I know. It's like, I do feel very slow when I look at people like them or um, Xavier Dolan. And I just, I'm just like, oh, God, I've made two films in um, five years. And that's nearly killed me. Um, I'm not sure, not sure I can increase my output to get quicker i mean the darden says two of them you know so <laughs> that's why they're faster <laughs> okay yes okay I'll, I'll buy that 
they can they can do the work quicker well thank you so much for talking to us today francis it's been really great to have you on the show it's been a real pleasure sam thank you and thank you for letting me pick this film and for the lovely lovely conversation no it's great it's our first our first Belgian film, our first Darden Brothers film, and a lot of their films are under 90 minutes. So listeners, if you've seen this film for the show and you enjoyed it, I highly recommend checking out some more of their work. Francis, where can people find you on social media if they want to follow what you're doing next? They can find me on Twitter, um, which I think I'm at Strawhouse Films, and they can find me on Instagram which I think I am, I am Francis Lee, I think. We'll verify and we'll put links into the show notes. Thank you. Highly recommend following on social media and just, yeah, keeping an eye out, keeping out for Ammonite and whatever you do in the future. Thank you, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.